At the beginning of the year, people like to make New Year's resolutions because we want to make 2018 better than 2017. I think we all do. You know, sometimes we have goals to lose weight or, you know, all different kinds of goals that we can have in our life. I think we're also motivated to make some spiritual goals in our life. Like, what, what can I do that would make me grow more spiritually this year than last year? So over the next four weeks, I'm going to focus on spiritual growth, things that we can do to make sure that 2018, my walk with God is greater than it was in 2017. We want to see progress taking place in our life. And the first one that I'm going to focus on, which obviously would be you know, something that you think of, is the Bible. The foundation for spiritual growth is based on the Bible. We've got to know God's Word. It's impossible for me to be strong in my faith without consistently intaking God's word. And you do that already by going to church on Sundays. You know, you're consistently doing it. But one day out of a week probably isn't enough to really grow at the pace that you need to go. So then the rest of it is like, what do I do on my own? And it's developing that daily time to read the Bible on my own. See, a lot of people, they've done surveys and they've come up with funny things because a lot of people nowadays don't know the Bible very well. Uh, they were asking people, who, who are Sodom and Gomorrah? And it was amazing how many people thought that they were lovers instead of two cities that got destroyed, you know. And who wrote the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. A lot of people thought it was like Martin Luther, like he was way back 2,000 years ago or something. Who were the apostles married to? They threw that out, and they had A, B, and C. And one of them was the epistles, which are the small books in the Bible. And people thought, oh, the epistles must be the wives of the apostles. But what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of people that don't have much knowledge of the Bible. They might believe the Bible. Like if you ask them, uh, do you believe the Bible is true? They'll probably say, yeah. A lot of people say, yeah. But when it comes to having any knowledge about what it actually says, <laughs> they're lost. And that's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, if I believe the Bible, but I don't really know what it says, there's a good chance I'm following along a bit blindly. That's not wise. Because we criticize cults, don't we? What, what, what's a criticism that we have about cults? Is they get people to follow blindly. So then I can't be a believer in the Bible, but actually live a life that I'm kind of following along blindly, because then I'm becoming the very thing that I criticize about cults. So here's the difference between a cult and a Christian church, is we want you to read the Bible. <laughs> we want you to study it for yourself. We say, look at it yourself, and you'll see. And they don't. They want you to only learn from them. See, I'm saying, learn from me on Sunday, but read it for yourself on the rest of the week. That's not what they say. They say only learn from them because they're afraid if you read it on your own, you might come up with something new that they're not teaching. I want you to read the Bible. You'll know it backwards and forwards. Uh, the, better, the more you know it, the better it is. And the better it is for me. If you know Scripture really well, do you think any pastor is going to 100% of the time get it right? No. It's impossible. The pastor's going to read something, he's going to say something, and... There's no way that someone's going to always get it right. But if you're reading the Bible, and you, you know what the Bible says, you'll be able to say, hmm, Jimmy's a good guy. 
Most of the things he says is correct. But I think he forgot about, what about this verse over here? What he said doesn't seem 100% right. And that's good. That's a healthy church. Because you're, you're thinking for yourself, you're learning. And hopefully, almost everything I say is right. But I'm just saying, everybody's human. And you'll know if you're reading the Bible on your own. And then my goal is to draw out some deeper things out of the Scripture that you might not catch on your own when you're reading it. But when I say it and you look at the verse, you say, oh, yeah, it does say that. I never noticed that, but it's clearly in there. You know, but you would know because you're reading it for yourself. But you want to know what Scripture says, and hopefully as a pastor, I bring out the deeper things that you might have missed. In 1 Peter 2.2, 2, it says, like newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Circle that word grow. We want to grow. But we have to desire the milk of the word. That means, you know, get into the scripture. We need food to grow physically. And that's the idea. You know, a baby needs milk. It desires milk so it can grow. And the scripture is saying, why don't we be like those babies? You know how a baby, when it wants milk, it would just cry and cry and cry because he's desiring it or she's desiring it so much? He's saying, why don't we have that desire for God's word like the baby does for milk? When we desire it, it's through that spiritual food that we're going to grow and we want to grow. So people will say, I've tried to read the Bible, but I, I just don't get anything out of it sometimes. You know, I, I, I don't understand it or, you know, I'm not receiving something from it. Let me give you some things that will unlock the scriptures for you. If you're reading the Bible and you don't feel like you're getting something from it, Here's some things that you can do. Number one in your notes, I must accept its authority. What I'm saying is your attitude makes a big difference in how you read the Bible. When I read the Bible, I believe it's God's word to man. I really believe it's God's word. So when I'm, believing, when I'm reading with that type of belief and attitude, it soaks in differently than if I was reading the Bible like a, a storybook that some person wrote. There's a lot of books out there. When I read a novel, I don't read it with the same mindset that I do when I, re- I read in a story in the Bible where I believe it's actually God's word speaking to me for a message. So a lot of what you get out of the Bible has a lot to do with your attitude and your faith. If you're reading it with that type of faith, you'll get things in there and it will affect the way you live. But if you read it like a novel, you say, oh, that was a nice story. You close the book, you go on your way, and it has no impact on your life, nothing at all. So the attitude makes a difference. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but actually as it is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Because they were receiving it as the word of God, they were growing spiritually. They weren't just seeing it as a book with fairy tales and that type of thing. One of the reasons why there's so much confusion in today's world is we don't know what the authority is. You want to know what the authority is on some medicine, and one doctor says this, and another doctor disagrees and says that. So we're confused. Well, who's right? They're both doctors. What's going to happen with the economy? One economist goes this way, another one goes that way, and you're confused, like, well, who's the authority? Who's the real authority? They both you know, seem to have studied this and they're saying different things. 
You talk to politicians, one's saying this one, one's going that way. Well, who's the authority? Which politician really has authority and knows what they're talking about? You have lawyers. One goes this way and disagrees with that one. They all disagree with each other. Well, which one's right? Which one has real authority? So we live in a world that we don't know what the authority is. We don't know. Because who we think is the authority, they contradict with each other. You go to a class and you have a professor and you think he's the authority on the subject. But later on, you have a different professor that contradicts what he said. And says, this is what I believe. And you think, who's the authority? Is there no authority around? I'm confused. How do I know right from wrong? How do I know which direction to go? Well, the authority is God's word. But what we tend to do when it comes to God's word is we sometimes look at other authorities and allow that to influence the way we think. One is, in, in your notes, culture. And every culture has things that are against what the Word of God says that the people as a whole tend to accept. Every culture, including America. It doesn't matter what the culture is. People have things in their culture that they accept as being normal, even though the Bible is different. So culture is unreliable. I would have to be pretty arrogant to think my culture has it right. All the other cultures are wrong. I would be pretty arrogant to think that way. Every culture has right in it. Every culture has wrong in it. That's why it's, it can't be an authority because it's not 100% correct. Here's what Exodus 23, 2 says. Don't follow the crowd and doing wrong. What's that saying? Don't follow your culture. Don't make it more important than what the Bible says. If my culture is saying this is okay, like, what does culture do? We have a Time Magazine culture. What does that mean? Time Magazine does a survey, and they find out if over 50% of the people are doing something, it must be okay. So if over 50% of kids in high school are having sex, does that mean that that's a normal, okay, good thing to have happening? No, sometimes the majority is wrong. Look at our history. How many times has the majority been wrong? How about with slavery in the past? Would you say the majority was wrong in those days? I would say it was wrong. You know, slavery should have never been accepted. If you go with the majority, then you'd have to accept that as being okay because the majority of people back then said it was okay. You can never go by the majority. Right and wrong never is going to be 100% lining up with culture. Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Stick with the Bible. If you trust culture, you're going to mess up your life. Tradition. Tradition. We've always done it that way. This, this is where churches can get in trouble. Churches can say, we've always done, that, done it that way, and they hold on to a tradition that was started, you know, a thousand years ago. I'm talking about methods and that type of thing. And you have to, sometimes to be effective in life, you have to go uh, against whatever the tradition is. It's better to be biblical when it comes to the Bible than to focus on tradition. I know this uh, story about this lady who, when she would make her uh, Thanksgiving turkey, she would cut two inches off of each side of the turkey. And her husband saw her doing that and said to her, why do you always do that? And he said, well, this is the way mom always, always did it. But why? I don't know, but that's the way you do it. That's how you make turkey. She would always cut off two inches off of each side of the turkey. And uh, she thought it would make it better. It didn't. It made it more dry and stuff, but that's what she thought how you did turkey. Well, then finally, they were with the mom, and, it, and they just thought about it. And the guy asked his mom, why is it 
that when you do a Thanksgiving turkey, you cut off the two inches on each side. And she said, well, we were kind of poor back then. We had a little bitty oven. And if I cut two inches off of each side, put it in the pan, it could fit in. So it's a tradition. She thought that there was a good reason behind it. It was just the only way that she could do it. So a lot of times we hang on to a tradition, and if you found out why it got started, you'd be thinking, there's no reason at all we should be doing that today. Today, it wouldn't make sense. Her cutting off two inches of each side made absolutely no sense. But she stuck with tradition. So don't stick with tradition. Stick with what's effective. Stick with what's right. Stick with what's biblical. Mark 7, 8, uh, Jesus said, You have replaced the commands of God with the traditions of men. You can be in sin against God, sticking with the tradition. Because you're doing what the tradition is instead of what God wants. Number three is reason. We'll allow reason to influence us more than the Bible. We'll allow our own reason and logic to be our authority rather than Scripture. Because we'll say, well, I think. Well, who made you so important that it matters what you think? Really, who does, you know. In your own rationale, I'm going to tell you, you can think something is so rational, and I can probably find five or six people that have a rational explanation different than that. And they all think they're rationally right. If you go by your rationale, then you must really think you're God. You must really think you're all that. Because there are just things that you would just never know. They were asking, I think it was Stephen Hawkins that they were asking, how much of the universe do you understand? How much of the universe do you actually understand? He said, Man, mankind, like if you had a big chart, maybe mankind understands what my hand is covering. But the rest of the, there's so much that we don't understand. What he's saying is we understand so little compared to what's really out there. You know, this is what this genius says. Then he says, so in your little understanding here, you don't think there could be God and all the rest of that that you don't understand? Even the genius admits that we understand so little. So in our very little understanding, don't you think there could be something out here that we don't know? So when you're trusting your own rationale, you're trusting something that's so small compared to the knowledge that's out there in this universe. So Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It's unreliable. So I can't trust my own logic because I'm really not that smart compared to the universe and all the knowledge that's out there. And number four, personal feelings. I just felt the spirit there. Does that mean it's right? You might have felt a spirit. Does that mean it was the Holy Spirit? You can't trust your feelings. If your feelings go against God's word, someone that lives their life according to their feelings at the moment could have an affair and ruin their marriage because they felt it at the moment. You know what I mean? Once you start going by feelings, you're, you're going to mess up your life. Judges 21, 25 says, every man did which was right in his own eyes. Now, if you're reading that passage, this was not a good thing. <laughs> everybody was doing, what it meant is everybody was doing their own thing no matter how it hurt other people. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. There's only one reliable authority. It's not going to change. It hasn't changed for 2,000 years. And that's God's word. It teaches you how to be a great husband, how to be a great wife, how to be a great parent, how to be a great worker, how to love people, how to live your life. And it's not going to change, and it's reliable. It's worked century after century after century. 
And a lot of our culture, even part of our culture that doesn't believe in God or, or not religious at all, but they're still influenced by the Bible. It's within our culture. Almost everybody in our culture believes in loving your neighbor as yourself. They believe that. You don't hear a lot of people in our culture that says, oh, I don't believe that. Our culture has been influenced by the Bible. It doesn't mean that they're walking in an intimate relationship with God. They might not know God. But the impact of the Bible over the years being taught has influenced a lot of our culture. Because deep in their heart, they know that's the way to live. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. People get it. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. It's God's way of making us well-prepared at every point. God is saying here that Scripture is there to help guide us in life so that we can be well-prepared in every point. It will give you a great life. So it doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing in the culture. It doesn't matter tradition. It doesn't matter what I think. The thing is, if I want to have a great life, I need to have the right authority in my life. I've never seen anybody go wrong, down the wrong path, having the Bible as their authority. I've seen them have religious tradition as their authority and go down and have some bad things due to that, but not the Bible. Like living the type of way that God wants you to live. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God is flawless. So if I'm going to get the most out of the Bible, I need to realize that it's God's word. It's God's word. When you're reading the Bible and you're seeing that it's God's word, that's when it impacts your life. That's when it changes you. If I read it like a storybook, it's, it's going to go one, in one ear and out the other. It's like reading a Disney story or something. Oh, that was kind of nice. Oh, they had a little story in there. But you want it, you, it, when you know it's God's word, it affects the way that you receive it. Number two, I must assimilate its truths. A closed Bible is worthless, Right? And it might look really beautiful sitting on a coffee table. But if I don't open it up and read it, it's not going to help my life. I've got to get God's word from those pages. I need to get those truths, those principles, those lessons into my life. So there's five ways that you can do this. Number, number one in your notes there, the first one is receive God's word. Here's the verse. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they hear it, but they have no roots. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. So you want to receive it, but you have to be careful how you listen. What, what does that mean? Can you go to church and hear and not listen? You can go to church and hear everything, but your mind can be on something else and you're really not listening. So it's saying be careful because it's not just automatic. It's not automatic when I read the Bible that I'm going to grow. It's not automatic when I hear it that I'm going to grow. He says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. You want to be teachable in the way that you're listening. You want to be absorbing it in. You want to do things that are going to help you to get it. This is why we put notes. Here's my philosophy with this. People learn in different ways, right? Some people remember more by what they hear. I was one of those students in school that if the teacher talked I would remember what they said so when I took the test, I could do okay if the test was on what they said. You know, but some people learn that way. But not everybody learns that well, well that way. Other people learn by seeing, and you see it come up on the screen 
down. When you see it, it helps you to remember it. Some people are more tactile. They, they learn by doing it. So it's when you're writing it down. It's something about writing it down makes you get it. So what I'm trying to do is every message, I want you to hear it. I want you to see it on the screen. I want you to write it down. I figure between the three, it's probably going to get you somehow, and you're going to get it. So the more avenues that you give someone on how they learn, you're more apt to help that person get the message that you're trying to get out. So what I'm trying to say is, receive the word. Be careful how you listen. Listen in a way that helps you to get it. If that means taking down notes, if it means not taking notes so you can concentrate on hearing, if it means reading things, but find a way that you can get it so that you can grow. Here's Hebrews 2.1. We must pay more careful attention to what we heard so that we do not drift away. So you want to have careful, pay careful attention because you can hear it, but if you're not careful, you won't really receive it. You won't remember it. In Acts 2.41, it says, they gladly received the word and 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people, they gladly received the word. You want to receive it with a good heart. You're excited to receive God's word. The second way to assimilate God's word is read, read God's word. In Revelation 1.3, it says, happy is the one who reads this book. Circle reads this book. You know, for the first 1,000 years of Christianity, most people couldn't read. And uh, the priest, you would just have to trust whatever the priest told you to be scripture, to be correct, whatever they said. And then um, Gutenberg invented the printing press the way that he could have movable type and figure that out. And the very first thing that he printed was the Bible. That's the very first thing. And when he printed the Bible in the language, because back at that time, the Bible was only translated into Latin. And hardly anybody ever read Latin, so it became a dead language. So the only people that knew it were the priests, but now he was putting it in the common language, and people started reading it for themselves, and it started a reformation. It started a revolution because there were things that they were reading the Bible, and there were things that they were hearing from priests that contradicted each other, and it changed Christianity. It made the traditional church have to make some changes or lose a lot of people, because if they're teaching something that's not biblical, they're going to have to make some changes or lose a lot of people. And these type of things happen, and it created the biggest revolution, you know, because now people could read the Bible for themselves and find out if what they're, they've been told is correct or not. I think that's a good thing. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to know for sure what it really says. I don't want anybody to just follow blindly and just believe it because somebody else said it. You know, the main reason why people don't understand the Bible is they really just don't put time into reading it. I know people that will read the sports page every Sunday, you know, or even every day, but they won't give any time to reading the Bible. I know people that will watch three hours of television every day but won't give three minutes to reading the Bible. You're never going to grow spiritually in that way. Like I said, Sunday mornings is good because there's a consistency there. But if you don't add to it, you're never really going to grow at the pace that God wants you to grow. You're never going to really get out of it in the life that you want to gain from having Scripture. I don't believe everything I read in the newspaper. I know because I've been 
quote it wrong in the newspaper several, several times. And I hope you don't believe everything you read in the newspaper. I hope you don't believe everything you watch on TV. I hope not. There's a lot of that. It's garbage. I hope you don't believe every movie that you see when it says based on a true story. You know what that means? It's got the theme in there, but they add a lot of stuff in it that never happened so that the movie's fun to watch. Otherwise, it would be boring to you. Based on a true story, I hope you don't believe everything that you see in a movie. But I tell you this, I believe the Bible is telling the truth. Why would I spend so much time reading things that I know I can't believe 100% and spend no time reading something that I know I can believe 100%? I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to spend time there. I'm not saying don't read the newspaper. I'm not saying don't watch TV. But what I'm saying is it doesn't make sense to me to put hours into stuff that I know half of what they're saying isn't true when I could be spending some time knowing everything coming in here is true and good for my life. Next is research. Research God's word. Get it into our lives by studying it and assimilating it. In Psalms 1, 1 and 2, it says, Happy are those who reject the advice of evil men. Instead, they find their joy in obeying the law of the Lord. That means the Bible. And it says, and they study it day and night. Study it. What's the difference between reading and studying? There's a pen and paper involved. You're writing down things. There's something about when you're reading the Bible and you write down things that you learned that you're going to remember. You're studying it. You're getting more out of it. What in third grade, remember when they say how, when they teach you how to study something, they say, ask the questions, who, what, when, why, where, and how. Okay, we learned that in third grade, right? As basic as that is, that's what works. There's nothing, you know, we're adults now, but that's what works. When you read the Bible, ask who, what, when, where, why, and how. Ask those questions. And you and you can write down some things, and you'll learn so much out of there. A lot of times we're not learning from the Bible because we're just not asking the right questions. Really studying the Bible is a little bit like being a detective. The detective first tries to see the details. So when you read and pay attention to the details, and then he asks questions. Where were you on the night of the 14th or whatever? But he's asking questions. Well, when you're reading the Bible, you're asking questions. And then... You take that information in so that you can start getting a conclusion of what, you know, what's going on. And sometimes you take what you read over here and what you read over here in Scripture to compare to what this is to have a better understanding. He's seen things over here before. He's seen things over there. He's using his experience of what he's seen before to help him with that conclusion. So studying the Bible is sort of like being a detective. And it can be fun when you're learning new things that you would have never known before. You know what the desire of my heart is? That we would be the most, you know, biblically uh, literate people. Like if people said, met people from Church of the Beach Cities, they would say, those are people that know the Bible. Those are people that know the Bible. And it's because, how, how does that happen? Because you're reading it on your own. That's the only way that can really happen. Next is remember God's word. In Colossians 3.16, remember what Christ taught and let his word enrich your lives and make you wise. This could be like developing a system where you memorize verses, those type of things. In Psalms 119.11, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart. That means he's got it memorized. 
I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What this is saying is, he said, I memorized things in the Bible so that I don't sin. So I won't make that, those mistakes maybe that he was making before. There's Bible verses that when you're feeling worried and you remember what it says, it, it gives you strength to trust God. Okay, I shouldn't worry about this. You're feeling depressed and you remember what the Bible says and it helps you say, yeah, I've got to let that go. Because if your depression isn't chemically based, a lot of it is just in your, it's the way that we're thinking. If I, depre- if I have depressing thoughts, I'm going to feel depressed. Uh, it makes you a better, better at counseling other people. You're counseling with somebody and you think about how that Bible verse says it, and then you use that to help counsel that person, it makes it easier to share your faith with somebody. You have something in, that you memorize in the Bible, and it gives you the words on how to explain it to that person so that they can understand it. It helps you develop a, prayer, a better prayer life. So memorizing bits, uh, parts of the Bible is very good. You know, picking like, oh, I want to memorize that passage, or oh, I want to memorize that verse. In John 15, 7, it says, abide in my word. What does that mean? That's having it in you. Abide in it. Some people say, I can't memorize. Anybody can memorize. Do, do, do you have it memorized how to get here? You know, uh, do you have it, you know, do you remember your phone number? You know, you'll memorize. Th- everybody memorizes things. Do you remember your address where you live? Do you know how to get home from here? So that, that you, you remember everything that's important to you. You can memorize Scripture. Anybody can. One thing to think about, I was reading that we spend six months of our whole life stopped at red lights. I thought, six months? First of all, I don't know if that's true. Like, oh, that must be an over-exaggeration. A half of a year stopped at red lights? That's just hard for me to believe. But maybe it means of our waking hours. But still, but that's what it said. But I thought, Wow. You stopped at a red light. You can have, like, this is a verse I want to memorize. You write it down on a card. Every time you stopped at a red light, you look at it and try to quote it. You look at, you know, and try to get it memorized. And then you just use your red light time. Can you imagine? You can memorize a Bible verse using a time that would have just been wasted. You know, whether it's six months or not, I don't know. But I know this. You can definitely memorize key Bible verses while you're at a stoplight. We need to receive God's word, read it, research it, remember it, and then reflect on it. Reflect on it means to, like you meditate on it. Here's how 2 Timothy 2.7 says. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. God wants to give you insight. To do that, you have to reflect on it. That just means focus on it. Think about it more deeply. One way that I would sometimes reflect on a word, and I still sometimes do this, to get something greater out of it, is I'll emphasize a different word each time. Like, I can do all things through Christ. 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 And I, I notice when I emphasize a different word and I say it, I don't know if it does this to you, but it does to me. Each time I emphasize a different word when I'm saying it, it kind of changes my focus a little bit. 
And you do that a few times to that verse, you start seeing things in that verse that you never noticed before. And they're there, but just because I never emphasized that particular word. And when you emphasize that word, you think, oh, yeah, that makes a big difference. That word all makes a big difference. You know, but you just read it through, you can skip things and really lose out on the meaning. What a meditation is saying is this. Focus on it more. Don't just read it. Focus on it. Try to get something out of there deeper. Because I can read the Bible without reflecting on it and still walk away and not let it impact my life that much. If I'm meditating on it, if I'm focusing on it, if I'm concentrating on it, I'm going to get more out. I'm going to learn more. And Joshua 1.8, it says... Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And you know what? We want to be prosperous and successful. And it's saying it comes from meditating on God's word, receiving that into my life. So how do I get more out of the Bible? I accept its authority. I assimilate its truths into my life. And then third, I must apply its principles. When you do all those things, if you don't apply it, then it doesn't really make much of a difference. D.L. Moody said, the Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. So why read? Why study? Why memorize? Why meditate? Ultimately, to change the way I live. So why am I saying read the Bible every day? So that you can become a better husband. You might already be good. But are you against becoming even better? You know, so you can become a better wife, so that you can become a better parent, so that you can become a better son or daughter to your parents, so that you can be a better at work with your boss, or if you're the boss, you can treat people better, or just with everything in life. You can have a healthier life. You can have a healthier mind. You'll study more. If you're reading the Bible, you're going to learn a lot about how important it is to develop your mind. So then you become better in those ways. To develop your health, you become better in those ways to develop your social relationships so you become better in those ways. You learn how to let go of guilt and regret and shame and anger and resentment and bitterness. You learn how to let go of worry and trust God. It helps you with your insecurities. You find more security in God and more significance in God and more satisfaction in God. I mean, it just helps you in every single way in your daily life and in your relationships. So... That's why we do it. The whole reason is not just so I can have a checklist and say, my goal is to read through the Bible every day. I mean, read the Bible every day. So I check it off the list. What good is it if I read the Bible every day and I don't apply it? Read it every day, certainly. But the whole point is so that you can apply it to your life. John 13, 17 says, once you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He doesn't say, once you know these things, you'll be blessed, right? He says, once you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So I want us all reading the Bible on a regular basis so that we can do it and have a blessed life. We can live it out. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because you can hear it, but if you don't do it, it's saying it doesn't help you. So the whole point is, I want to read the Bible. I want to memorize some things. I want to meditate on it. I, I want to you know, receive it with a glad heart. All these things that said so that I can live it out and have a better life here on earth. Here on earth. I want you to have the best life here on earth. God has all kinds of scripture. Why? Because he wants you to have the best finances. 
here on earth. He wants you to have the best marriage here on earth. When you read the Bible, even though we know the ultimate thing is we get to spend eternity with God, nothing can beat that, right? But when you read the Bible, it talks way more about how to have the best life here on earth. I think it's because, of course, it's a given that you want to be in heaven with God. That's a given. You don't have to write 2,000 pages on how good it's going to be in heaven. You already know that. But the problem is we have to live here today. I've got to live through Monday. And that's what Scripture is going to help you. I want to have the best life ever. It will teach you how to have the best finances. It will teach you all those things. It's all in Scripture. I want to challenge us to make two commitments because the goal here is we're at the beginning of the year. It's a good time to make New Year's resolutions. And I hope that everybody here has the same desire that I have. Like, I want to make sure that spiritually, like this time next year, I want to feel like I've grown spiritually. I don't want to be the same I was. Like, in a year from now, I don't want to feel like I'm at the same level I was spiritually. I want to be grown. I want to feel like I've learned more. My life is getting better. So here's a commitment that I'm hoping that you'll make with me. I will commit myself to accepting God's word as the final authority. Okay, God, your word's the authority. This is God's word. It starts with there. Because so much of what you're going to do to have success has to do with how you approach it mentally. Because you're saying, by saying that, you're saying, if culture says one thing, but the Bible says no, I'm sticking with the Bible. If I feel one way, but the Bible says no, I'm sticking with the Bible. If I think one way and the Bible says no, I'm sticking with the Bible. Now, if it doesn't seem logical to me, I might ask around, and maybe I'm just not understanding that passage. Maybe when I understand how it's going, then I say, oh, it's, that does make sense now. But until that time, I'm still sticking with the Bible. It's the authority. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to read it with that mindset. And second is that I'm going to make it a regular habit to read it. First is the mind. This is the authority. The second commitment is I'm going to take it in every day. Now, realistically, is everybody in this room, let's say that we all make a commitment. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to see this God's word, and I'm going to read it every day. We all make this commitment, let's say. Realistically, is everybody in here going to read the Bible 365 times over the year? Realistically. Some people will. Some will. But realistically, no. Because you know what happens is life. Somebody in this room might have to Something happens and you're going to be in the hospital for a couple of days and you might not have access to reading the Bible. You know, what I'm trying to say is no one's going to be perfect. But here's what will mess you up. If your goal is to be perfect, here's what happens. Oh, I missed a day. Oh, then you miss another day. Oh, you missed a week. Oh, and then you just give up. Oh, I can't do it. I'm, I've, you know, and then you stop. People do that. They start off because their goal is to read through the Bible every day and they miss a week, they miss two weeks, so then they just stop. I can't do it. They give up. Here's what you want to do. If something happens where you miss a week, then start back on Monday. Keep going. Look at it like this. How many times did you read the Bible last year? You might say, on my own? Maybe none. Maybe eight times. Maybe. Well, let's say that you missed half the days this year. So you only actually read the Bible 180 days instead of 365. For a lot of people... 180 days would be a, a, the reading the Bible would be 180 days more than what you did last year. So if you're seeking perfection, you'll give up. But if you just say, okay, I missed today. I've got to let that go and I'll do it again today. You know, you might be amazed that you might mess up a whole lot 
and still end up reading the Bible multiple times more than the year before. For some people, if you went for this and you only ended up reading once every four days, you would have read the Bible about 90 times this year. But that might be 90 times more than last year for a lot of people. So if you're not perfect with it, don't give up. The goal is every day, right? I'm saying every day, that's your goal. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'll promise you, I don't read the Bible every day. It's my goal. And I try to read it every day. And I probably read it an average five to six days a week. There's always days I miss it. Something happens. But I figure like this. I really think like this. I still feel that 280 days a year is better than zero, than better than me giving up and just saying, oh, every week I miss a day. Oh, I just give up. I'm never going to be good enough. Why do I bother trying? That's guaranteed failure, right? So I read it. Okay, I read it five times this week. I missed yesterday because of wrestling tournament. I was too tired to read when I got home. Okay, I missed today. Okay, I read it five times, actually six with Sunday. I read it six times. Okay, that's not that bad. I'm going to try again next week. But if you have the right mindset and the right attitude, instead of trying to be a perfectionist, you'll probably read the Bible a lot and gain so much from it. Inside your notes, you see this thing of spiritual growth evaluation. Sometimes people think like, how can I measure spiritual growth? Like, how do you measure something like that? Well, the best way to measure spiritual growth is more in like commitments that you make. But what I did is I put together something here for you to use that you can kind of see where you are, like accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is step one. Get baptized. That's a commitment. Go through part one of our spiritual growth class. That would be a commitment. This is like the beginning for new people starting off. Start giving. That's a commitment. Start serving somehow. That's a commitment. Be committed to going to church. Invite a friend to church. These are things that you can say, that's a step one. Like a new believer, if you started doing all these things, like, wow, I've taken a major step forward in my spiritual walk. Some people read that and say, wow, I, I don't really do most of those things. Maybe your goal this year is to take step one. You know what? I just need to take that first. It's a baby step. But I need to take that baby step and just start like this and get going. And then step two, you've already made that first step. And now you're saying, okay, I've done these things already. Now I'm ready to take the next steps. Here are things like take part two and three of the spiritual growth class. Take our purpose-driven church class. That will help you grow a lot. Uh, Go on a compassion ministry outing, like the Long Beach Mission or something, where you're serving people in that way. Be committed to reading your Bible every day and praying. Tithing. When people give 10% of their money to God, that's, that's a commitment. Go through our contagious Christian class. That teaches you how to be more effective at sharing your faith with others. Go through our shape class where you see what your spiritual gifts are, your heart's passion, your abilities, your personality type, your experiences, and you see how you're shaped to serve so you're more effective. Now, those are things that you can do, and then you'll come out of there that next year or that after you finish that, wow, my spiritual growth has taken off. And then maybe you'll be ready for step three. Go through the New Testament class. In that class, you read through the whole New Testament, but it's a study that goes through it. Go through our Old Testament class. Go through our leadership class where you get leadership training. Lead a ministry. Wow, that would, that's a big step. Go through our basic biblical counseling class. It helps you, but it helps you to be able to give wise advice to others. Go on a mission trip to a third world country. That will grow you up in a way that, you know, read through the whole Bible. If you haven't done it in the last uh, five years, read through the whole Bible. Join the church leadership team. But those are even bigger steps. So what I'm trying to say is no matter where you are, 
This is for you. Not, it's not to turn in to me. This is for you. But no matter where you are, you can go through these things and say, like, okay, these are things I've done. It gives you goals. Like, you know what? This year, I want to take that class. I want to do this. And at the end of the year, you're going to grow and learn. When you don't have any sort of goal out there, you hit it every time. You hit it every time. When you have no goals, you hit it every time. You get nothing. Every time you get nothing. But with this, you can say, hmm, I can do that one. I'm going to invite a friend to church. I'll do that one. Uh, I can, you know, I can start doing this one. But this is to give you something, a resource to help you. And you might have a couple here, one over here, one in this page. I don't know. To me, that's, that's important. What's more important to me is wherever you are this year, that you've done some things that next year you would say, I think I'm more of a mature believer than I was last year. I just want your New Year's resolutions to really work. Like, wow, it's made a difference. This does make a difference. So I hope that encourages you. Let's pray. God, we want to accept your word as the authority for our life. We want to memorize it. We want to receive your word. Lord, we want to read it and study it. Lord, we want it to impact our lives. Lord, because we want to be able to live out the life that you have in store for us. All this head knowledge is useless, Lord, if we don't live it out. Lord, we're praying that you'll use these commitments we make today so that we have better marriages, better relationships, better with our finances, all those things that we talked about, Lord. It's to give us a better life here on earth, Lord. And we want to thank you that you care about us that much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.